What's up, badass Asian dudes? This is Victor Ung, and we're back again with another awesome episode with Asian Hustle Network founder, Brian Pham. I am super excited to have him on this show and be able to talk through uh, a lot of heartfelt things in this episode. We talked a lot about Asian masculinity and mental and emotional health, and entrepreneurship, and and how to really bring your ideas into fruition, uh, coping with all the discomfort and unfamiliarity in the process. And I absolutely am, am so honored to get to know Brian and uh, be able to to collaborate on on this episode and and really so like share some some vulnerable things here. So uh, if you enjoyed this episode, Make sure to follow and subscribe if you haven't already and consider sharing this episode with another Asian hustler who wants to improve and better themselves as well. Stick around towards the end to learn more about what's happening with the Badass Asian Dudes. But for now, enjoy the episode. In my version of Badass Asian Dudes, it's just like picturing somebody who's like super independent, able to do what he wants on his own terms. Are you willing to, you know, like live by your own set of rules? Are you willing to, you know, like break out of societal customs. And I was doing so many things to impress so many other people and all the way to the point where, you know, I started my own company. I started three companies. I believe that we're all massively creative people. You may not be creative in the way that I'm creative or like you're not gonna articulate and communicate in the way that I will and I don't expect you to. When I was growing up, I was the definition of the nerdy, shy, introverted Asian kid that was picked on and bullied all my life with two tiger parents didn't even give me a choice. I just had to be a doctor. My parents came to America with no money, so I didn't get, uh, you know, this idea of emotional intelligence. They don't know what the fuck that is. Like, it was um, survival mode. When you see someone else that looks like you or represents you being emotionally intelligent or training their mental fitness, when you see that, all of a sudden you're like, oh shit, like, maybe I can do that too. What's up, guys? This is the Badass Asian Dudes Podcast, and I am super excited to have on the co-founder of the Asian Hustle Network, Brian Pham. What's up, Pham? How you doing? Yo, thanks for having me on. <laughs> super excited to be here today. Yeah, this is super cool, um, and we're excited to get into all these different topics about Asian masculinity and entrepreneurship and um, and and even just emotional intelligence, all these deeper topics. Uh, for those who don't know me, I am Victor Ung. This I, I've been uh, one of the admins for the Badass Asian Dudes group, and a lot of what we're uh, striving for here is how to create a community of growth-minded Asian men who identify as such and and really be more collaborative in in this space. So. I'm excited also to have on Brandon, who's uh, coming on to to help with the admin teams here and running the Facebook group and the podcast. So, Brandon, you want to say hi, introduce yourself? Uh, hi, guys. Uh, yeah, I'm new admin for the Bad Asian Dudes. Um, just um, recent graduate, uh, unemployed recent graduate because of COVID. But <laughs> we'll see where um, this takes me. So, yeah, nice to meet you guys. Sweet. Um, yeah, I'm excited to have Brandon on here too. He wrote a whole thesis about Asian masculinity uh, and uh, about uh, how that affect on the mainstream media and, and how that affects us too. So um, we got <laughs> so much to dive into. But uh, Brian, for those who are have been living under a rock and don't know you, uh, 
tell us a little bit about what what you've been up to. Definitely. So I am one of the co-founders of Asian Hustle Network with my partner, Maggie. And together, we created this Facebook community that grew to 70,000 people. Um, and our mission is to have more Asians in mainstream media, higher investment in corporate ladders, because we've been through our fair share of corporate, and we realized that here in America, and not just America, but also Canada and Australia, that we all go through, go through the same things. We don't have a voice. And when we do have a voice, we're told to be silent, work hard, and keep our head down. So our mission is to break out of, out of that norm and create a new norm for all of us. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that because it really is something that, uh, especially in the Asian community, we don't really talk enough about. It's always like, um, it does seem, it's interesting because it's this like weird dichotomy of like, oh, we're a collective, like culture. We all like help each other as a, as a family. You know, there's this whole idea that, you know, you recognize other uh, other Asians or at least those who look like us and there's like instant connections so we're here to support but then there's like not really that much support too it's this weird like uh, it's it's like our own family kind of thing yeah and then and then like prioritizing that um, and then even like competition against like even like my extended family like, like my cousins and I were always compared with each other all the mm-hmm. time um, so anyway I appreciate that like you have built this community and, and especially in business and entrepreneurship, which is also something that's so taboo and like, not like a uh, uh, very Asian of us, right. To not like get a job in, in engineering or doctor or medical field and whatnot. So like, was that a lot of what inspired this group for you? Yes. Yes. So I realized that diaspora of Asian people is so diverse and I realized that, no, there's a lot of fragmentation in our community that needs to be that needs that needs to be dealt with and talked about and 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 worked on. And what we're going through right now is not something that's that is completely new. And when you look at the word Asian, the word Asian is coined to us in the Western world, unifying us under one identity. But this identity is it's is very new to us. Because only a generation ago is when our parents and grandparents were fighting each other in Asia. And it's quite normal for us to be going through these things right now because we're actually taking the time to to learn and understand each other. And most of us are first generation. You know, unlike our parents' generation, which is we got to stay close to people who look like us, sound like us, and speak our own language. We are now entering a new era of we are American, we are Australian, we are Canadian. What does that mean? You know, so we're actually, t- we're actually going through a natural progression, understanding our culture and understanding each other. And, you know, unfortunately, there hasn't been a group before us like this that would create a safe space to share stories and try to understand because a lot of us will not reach out to people of other communities and go out our own way to understand them, you know? So how do we, how do we solve that problem? And then we want to, we want to make storytelling the basis of Asian hustle network, because we need more unity in the Western world. If we want to continue to push for representation to make a difference, because as soon as we, as we get together and work together, we're powerful, we're extremely powerful, but to get us to that point, we're going through like generations of 
unlearning and learning and trauma and all these things, uh, which is completely normal, you know? And I, mm-hmm. I have a feeling by the time it gets to our kids' generation, our grandkids, that we'll be more far along than we think we could ever be. Yeah. I, I'm so excited and inspired by that. Um, and I'd love to get into that. Before the, we do, though, a lot of the question we ask a lot of our guests here is, uh, and maybe this will lead into a lot of what we'll, we'll be talking to about, but what does being a badass Asian dude mean to you? Oh, man, I have my fair shares of trying to define that word, you know? Yeah. Because I grew up in a relatively Asian area in LA, where my high school was literally like 90% Asian people. <laughs> so what does badass Asian people even, Asian dude even mean? You know, like, growing up, it was like, are you the, the hard Asian with the tattoos and drinking <laughs> and and just being cool and being tough, no one messes you, you know? That was like the first image of like what the badass Asian is. But as I got older and as I got into the business world, the badass Asian people are the, the ones that can think ahead, the ones that can do business, the ones that command influence, the ones that command respect. You know, So for me, it, it got redefined as I, as I grew older and gained more life experience. But especially as a younger guy, like I didn't want anyone to mess with me, uh, especially because I had a really late growth spurt. You know, I was 5'4", five, 5'5", five, five, for most of... For most of high school, it wasn't until I got to college that I grew to 5'10". <laughs> like, I grew five more inches. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, just being that smaller dude most of my life and getting picked on all the time for being small, not only within the Asian community, but like other communities as well. Like I, I had a huge chip, chip on my shoulder um, to really like stand up for myself and, and voice myself a lot. Man. That's super cool. And and I know like listening to a couple other episodes of, of other podcasts you've been on, I got some sense of, of your story, but um, it does resonate a lot with, with mine in terms of, you know, got to do a very specific thing and career and path in life and actually did that for me personally. Um, and then realizing, wait, I haven't developed all these other skills that that you were all mentioning here in terms of what does, um, what what is badass, right? In uh, something that like, um, is because mm-hmm. the 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 natural thing for at least for me growing up was just keep the head down, like work hard, uh, don't need to show off or anything, you know, uh, and, and just like just work in in the moment, and there wasn't as much. Maybe there was thinking ahead in terms of, oh, like get the house and retirement funds, but like not much else past that. Um, How did you like kind of break away sort of from that? I I guess I would say like limited mentality, right? Of of what is possible, of what you are capable of and and actually start doing what Mm -hmm. you you want to do, what actually makes you come alive. Victor, I think that's a really great question. Um, I think for me, from my early part of my career when I first graduated in 2010, uh, so I can feel for Brendan who's graduating in 2020, very similar job market <laughs> feel. Um, so I graduated right after the recession. It was extremely hard to find a job, you know? So any job that I, I think I was applying to like 100 jobs per week and only getting one interview if I'm lucky, you know? And that that to me, maybe really scared to like not have a job. So 
So I just took whatever job I could at the very beginning. Uh, luckily, I ended up at Microsoft and Boeing. Um, but during those times too, like they weren't doing so well. You know, Microsoft was going through some pretty tough times back in 2010 uh, with the Surface Pro not doing too well. And, you know, I, I was, I wanted to hold on to my job really tight because I'm so scared. I, I wanted to, to make sure that I'm always employed. Um, and that also taught me a huge lesson too, because as I was going through the company, there were massive rounds of layoffs, massive rounds of layoffs. My mentors who mentored me, and I would say they can, they can probably code like 150 times better than I could ever code. But because of our salary difference, they were let go. And it breaks my heart because they were at the company for like 15, 20 years, dedicating all of their prime and youth to this company, only to be let go because the company wasn't doing so well. And at that point, it was a huge mm-hmm. turning point for me. It was like, why am I giving my heart and soul into this company that will probably do the same to me in the future? You know? It was at that point, I was staying in the office. I got in the office at like 6 a.m. and I would not leave until like 7 p.m. Right? I was like, I was pretty gun hole, like being a super cold monkey, being the best engineer I could ever be. Yeah. And seeing that happen to my mentor just like totally slaps me in the face. It's like, bro, I need to take my time and work on things that would take care of me in the future. So at that turning point, I think I was like, so I graduated college at age 20. I was probably 23 at that point, three years into my career before I, then at that point I realized like, there's no such thing as company loyalty. I need to do something else in my time. So I got into various things. I had the shiny object syndrome. I got into stocks, lost money. I got into Amazon, lost money. <laughs> I was like, God damn it. Why is everything to touch, lose money? You know? <laughs> I was always, like, I was like literally like really frugal and I would save money and not eat out or not do anything. I can invest, but I kept losing the, the damn money. <laughs> I'm like, God damn it. Uh, so then I realized that it's because I have shiny object syndrome and that I need to take time to learn the basics of yeah. everything and not just be attracted to quote unquote what makes the fastest amount of money. You know? And when I had that experience under my belt, I switched jobs and I moved to Northern California. And that's when I moved into a house where my roommate was his family his family does real estate. And they were teaching how to do investments to real estate. And I, I knew at that point that, you know, real estate might be the way to go, but learning from my learn before, I'm going to do it the right way. So I spent the first year and first two years practically networking and reading and doing whatever I could. And that's when I started becoming a really, really bad employee. Like I will find any excuse to like not do the minimal <laughs> amount of work to like maximize my time yeah. to like learn a new skill you know like so i would i literally listened to like close to like 300 episodes of a real estate podcast i read like close to 100 books per year when i was like 24 25 wow and when i was 20 25 and a half and almost 26 i bought my first real estate property and i made over 200,000 on that and then it sky, I started skyrocketing. I started doing like five, 10, five, 10 15 deals, making the same amount each time, hitting like really ridiculous marks, you know, getting to apartment syndications, meeting the top 1%, meeting the people who develop properties um, in, 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 
in Berkeley and everything, that that to me really opened up my mind of what's possible. I did I did this all before the age of thirty, you know. So I started to like think of human potential. What what actually makes me happy? So I ended up leaving my job and doing this full time. But during that time, it actually made me incredibly unhappy because I'm like, is this, this is all there is to life? Like just just making money. Like what is there is what what else is there is to life? I got really depressed. Actually, so I think people, I think people that like just, I think anyone that's um like watch um uh, entrepreneur talk kind of ha- like kind of realizes that everyone that kind of has that in- intrinsic characteristic to want to like break the mold has that like addictive quality that you just kind of like talked about like how you read 100 books um a year you watch like 300 episodes of like a podcast i kind of want to like kind of dig deeper into that like do you have like an like as you kind of self-reflect like do you think there's a moment or like there's a person in your life that kind of um foster that in you because i think that's a very important quality for mm-hmm. me to have that like that addictiveness that uh, that drive to learn and like not just like even if nothing comes out of it, they just want to learn for the purpose of learning. Yeah, I think that that came from me not being afraid to fail. In some ways, um, I never had that barrier. You know, I was. I think that's how I got through engineering. You know, <laughs> I was like, oh, I got a D. Oh, whatever, I just retake the class. <laughs> you know, <And> ironically. <laughs> You know, I end up graduating with a pretty good GPA, but people don't know I retook half my classes like to redo the grades. You know? Um but I think that greediness just comes from like obsession. Um I think because I dealt with so much failure in my life. Like in high school I was not a good student, you know, I was I was pretty horrible. And to keep myself going, to keep myself studying. There was a voice in my head that said, you're going to be someone great and you can do this. You know, no matter who, who tries to drag me down, any peers, any friends, any family that try to drag me down, that voice always keeps me going and it keeps me hungry. Because there's a voice inside my head that every time I fail, that says, this, is, this doesn't define you, not at all. The world has has not seen the true your true your abilities yet, and this is word for word. This has been going on my head since middle school. <laughs> this, this is just like mm-hmm. an internal self belief that I created for myself because I didn't want to be seen as a failure. You know, and that and that goes a long way. You know, when I, when I lost like I think I, when I was twenty one, I lost like forty grand. I was like, oh, that one hurt. I'm probably a failure. <laughs> you know, and then I'm like. Alright, it doesn't define you, yeah. Brian. Give that up and do it again. <laughs> yeah, so it just I just things like internal mechanism that I developed to do with failure. Man, no, and, and that's like yeah. Yeah. No, and that's that's a lot of what is differentiates, you know, those who are obviously creating success and those who who are um you know feeling defeated or or let down or or even pessimistic or um uh uh not like able to 
work through that rejection, that failure, right? Having that resilience. And it sounds like that was something that you seemed like had developed even somewhat naturally for yourself. Um, but, and then, and then like, I want to also connect us back to what you were um, sharing earlier in terms of, you know, having that mindset and then building up to this point where you're now making deals and Mm -hmm. then making this money and then still feeling depressed and like, um, how I guess like let's see because there's different <laughs> different ways we could even go about this but like you know um, what what do you, what do you feel like is the the balance or the uh, what what was missing if you were to look back you know knowing that you had the mindset to like work through things but then yet still getting to a point where um, maybe it wasn't as fulfilling or, or yeah, I was still curious about my own potential, you know, and at that time, I started meeting people of higher and higher levels. And the thing with me is, even even back in college, like, I didn't come from the most wealthy family. I came from parents who were in welfare for the longest time. So when I got to college, I was so mind blown by the new friends that I was making. And they're saying how they went to college without financial aid. I'm like, what? No way. <laughs> I was so, so mind blown by that. And I I actually spent a lot of time in their house. And they lived behind like gated communities. And most of my time, I didn't really spend at the house talking to my friend. It's kind of funny, right? I spent time talking to their parents. I was like, so what do you guys do? <laughs> They're just like, oh, yeah, like we're, we're like investors in this and real estate and that, you know? And I was like, started opening up my mind because. Prior, prior up to that point, investing in my family was incredibly taboo. My, my, my parents always label stock investing as gambling. It's, it's sinful. Don't do it. You're going to lose money. You know? And that's the kind of mentality I have growing up most of my life. And I had to unlearn that by essentially talking to more wealthy individuals when I was younger, when I was 18, 19, to learn like what I needed to do for my own life to roadmap it for myself. You know, so I spent a lot of time asking and talking to the parents. And what I realized that's really cool looking back now is that the parents that I talk to are literally us right now. They're you, Brandon. They're you, Victor. They're, they're me. College educated. They have their own families. They, they, can, they understand the American culture really well. You know, they're literally us. They're not anyone that's extremely, like, they're not anyone different than we are right now, which is a crazy thing, right? But like coming from first-generation immigrants mm-hmm. escaping the Vietnam War and everything, our parents are like, we have to be in survival mode. We can't trust anyone. Like, we can't invest into things. You have to be frugal and be cautious and everything. So I have to unlearn that. Um, but going back to like what your question was, like I, I, didn't, I didn't know what my full potential was. I didn't know what I was capable of doing. But at the same time, I kept remembering back to the conversations yeah. with these parents. It's like I, they kept talking about them being a part of like charity, nonprofits, and non boards and everything. I'm like, at that time, I'm like, why the hell would you want to do that? Like, just make more money. <laughs> but as I got older, and when you satisfy your own your own needs, you start thinking about how you can make the world a better place. You know, and you start thinking about it's not about you anymore. It's about what can you do to make a difference. You know, and I'm sort of in that mindset right now. 
uh, where how can I make the world world a better place? But at the same time, I'm coming to a very strong yeah. realization that in order to make all the things that I want to make happen, like more Asian representation, it requires more money than I ever imagined to host these different events, to do to to pay people to do this and that. You know, it, it's more than just making a couple hundred thousand or early like low millions and you need more than that in order to make your dent in the world you know so how do you how do you get to that point how do you become sustainable how do you become an entity that builds the, the foundation for the future generation to succeed you know and that's that's a huge rabbit hole that we can go down <laughs> yeah i mean this is why i'm like always so excited to have you on to this podcast because there's just so much badassery in what you're what you're building what you're up to right now in in making that impact and it sounded like coming from you know that survival mode uh, again very much resonating with that right like we didn't even turn on the heat in our house because we're like we just put on more clothes like you know save money that way or you know so yeah, actually, I, I still have the same mentality. I mean, I do too. So <laughs> I never turn on my yeah. heater here. I just put it on. <laughs> you know what? And, and sometimes comfy. You put on a nice hoodie, some nice sweater, uh, sweats, and you're good to go. <laughs> uh, socks are also yeah. key. But um, anyway, <laughs> coming from that sort of just lots of other like survival mode mentality and now like thinking on the, you know, that Maslow's hierarchy, right? Like, after you satisfied your basic needs, how do you then, mm -hmm. you know, self-actualize, but also, um, you know, uh, actualize the the community and, and their hopes and dreams as well. Um, but then, like you, you mentioned that you you hit mm -hmm. depression at some point, or at least a mild form of it. Like, was that what was maybe talk us through that? Yeah. Like, what what sort of, you know, um, um, you know, created yeah. that, or, or and then how did you get through it? Yeah, I think I think it's it's feeling purposeless and feeling like whatever I'm doing is just for personal gains, and that didn't feel that didn't feel too good. And the other aspect of that this is, is feeling back lonely. When you were doing the real estate, right? Like yeah, to, yeah, yeah, and feeling incredibly lonely, like no one to talk to, because you're you're one of the one of the few people that broke out from the nine to five. You're doing this full time, you know. And then when your friends ask you, what have you been up to these days? Or, I've been doing this and that, or it kind of like rubs in the wrong way. Cause it sounds like you can do what the hell, what the hell you want anytime you, anytime you want type of thing. And like, it, and then sometimes when you hit like project, there's always going to, as an entrepreneur, like you're always going to hit roadblocks that challenge you. And, and sometimes you need someone to talk to like as friends or just to kind of pull through and that's why I learned the importance of meeting like-minded people going through the same process because you guys could relate to each other and talk through these difficulties but at the time I didn't have the support group yet all I had was my high school friends who were still working their nine to five at the time and you know I, I couldn't talk to them about anything you know every, everything I talked to them about I felt like I was rubbing them the wrong way and also everything they were talking to me about was like so safe you know, I kept telling them to like break out of the norm, we gotta take some risks, but it never got through to them. Um, so it created an, an issue where I wasn't, I wasn't, I didn't feel like I belong anywhere. And, you know, 
yeah, it also kind of made me feel really lonely too. Like, I couldn't really talk to my parents. My parents at the time still think that I'm heavily gambling. They still think we should go get a W two, <laughs> all that stuff. You know, and it didn't help neither. So I couldn't talk to my friends or family. Um, but yeah, I just and then I realized that just working for the money, it felt so empty. You know, like it felt like it wasn't any any bigger reasoning behind it to do more to 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 help the world improve you know so how did you kind of get over that hump right like did you seek help or did you like somehow just networked and just found your community somewhere else or was that the yeah was that the reason behind creating uh ahn yeah so that's also one of the reasons why i created asian hustle network it's because i was wondering if other people felt the same way and you can hear Maggie could attest to this. I was probably complaining to her for like a year and a year and a half that I'm so lonely. <laughs> you know? Because the thing with me living in the Bay, I never felt like I really belong here. You know? And I, I don't know. I just, I just, as a SoCal person, mm-hmm. I was born and raised in SoCal, I never felt like I, I belong here. All the friends I was making up here, it never felt like, never felt like they were everlasting. You know, I never felt like they could be my close friends. I just stopped feeling that, you know. And then that's sort of the basis of Asian Hustle Network because at the time, there were so many things that was going on in my mind. Because I was doing more real estate, and I'm like, why don't the Asian people talk together? Because the Vietnamese people would help me, and then the Chinese group would help me, and then the Korean group would help me. And I'm like, they're mm-hmm. all segregated, you know? They're, they're, they just have their own clique. And then at that time, I was like... um. Thinking back to when I was working at W2 and I got passed up for promotion a couple of times, uh, mainly I always felt like I wasn't, because I wasn't white, you know? And then I started looking into that and and seeing why C-suite people are like, there's virtually no diversity yeah. up there. And it comes down to a psychological, psychological standpoint, because we like to help and promote people that look like us and yeah. sound like us, you know? So we had to overcome that psychological barrier too. A lot of things going in my head at that time. And on top of that, I was pretty damn lonely. So I was like, I wonder if I could create a cool community where people can share their stories because you know, as a youngster, I was always been obsessed with listening to stories. And I had all these social issues I wanted to solve. So what what if possibly I could bring together a group of like minded people um to see what we can do together and you know Little did I know that that grew exponentially quick to Asian Hustle Network over the last year. I just love this conversation too, because from a uh, for for us who identify as men here, you know, being able to come out here and say, "Wow, I am lonely. Wow, I am like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't feel fulfilled. I am feeling depressed. Like all these deeper emotions that we've." for so long, especially in the Asian culture too, like shamed because like, dude, just like go man up or, or get it together. Like, especially from our parents or immigrants, you might hear like, we've done so much to get here. And then it starts feeling like guilt. And then like, <laughs> you know, what are we doing? Like risking our, our jobs and stability our financial stability, especially like all these things as like first and second generation um, diaspora is like uh, mm-hmm. can be so hard to navigate so I wonder did you have to like navigate through that with with family and how did you kind of talk through um, yeah that yeah. sort of 
you know, uh, taking that risk and like, uh, yeah. uh, like not pleasing them, but at least like, uh, you know, uh, what's you call it? Soothing, maybe <laughs> calming mm-hmm. their, their anxiety about it. Yeah. I mean, they're as parents, they always want the best interest for their kids. That's just naturally how parents are. Um, that was a huge disconnect. Luckily, you know, it's going back to me facing a lot of failure throughout my entire life. But my parents' dis- disappointment in me didn't really, didn't really hold too much weight because I just, I just felt like it was just another, another failure I had to get over. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but yeah, there was a huge sense of disappointment of why don't you continue down with the traditional track? Um, I think with, yeah. with 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 Asian parents in general that I feel, it's that you have to show them that it is possible. You know, you have to show them that this is a viable path. Because at the end of the day, what they care about truly is, are you happy? Mm-hmm. That's what that's what our, our parents care about. Are we happy? They think that the way to be happy is to have a secure, safe job where you could go on nice vacations or own nice things or nice houses because these things, they, they may be lacking in their own life. You know, but at the end of the day, it's like, if you show your parents that you can be happy doing this and that it is viable and that it has some monetary value and gain to it, slowly but and surely they're going to believe that this is possible. They're going to be more curious about it. They're going to be more excited about it. It's just a continuous process, you know? And it's not an easy process. Like the first three years, my dad was like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> you know? but, but nowadays yeah. he's like, hey, I saw, I saw, your, I saw your company in the news. <laughs> you know? I saw you're in Channel 7. I saw you're in Bloomberg now. <laughs> You know, because it took a, took a while to warm up to that point. But once they see the light, right. just as you see the light, they're going to be your number one supporter. Man, I think that's like something, though, for for many of us who might be in that transitional time in the, for like the three years that you were talking about, like it can be so hard to like see the light at the end of the tunnel, you know, and, and be like, I, this is all part like the, this, this hard diff, discomfort and, and, uh, uh, all the, the negative, you know, feedback or all these, all this rejection and failure is always like so hard in the moment to have to deal with. Is there like, did you, like, did you have things that helped like specifically helped you through that? Or was it just yeah. kind of like, let you just let time pass? Like, how did you kind of, yeah, like, like bringing yourself back to that moment of that hardship like yeah yeah i i journal a lot it's one of the things i don't miss i I write Mm. i write down my thoughts every day um because i'm a huge believer that oftentimes you know what you need to do except your emotions sort of clouded (laughs) you know and then the thing with writing into my journal it's just free free flowing every day i realize that over and over i write the same things of what I want to do and how to get there. I feel like your subconscious mind knows how to get to that point. It's just that you let other people's opinion, you let your emotions get in the way, you know? And once I refined that, I started listening to out, out into numbers and use them as my affirmations. You know, I, I practice affirmations on a very, very frequent basis, almost every single day where I write about my purpose. I write about my goals. I write about things that I want to do. Of course, it changes over time, but most consistently, it keeps me reminded of where my North Star is and what and how I'm going to get there. No matter how tough things get, no matter how, how tested I get, 
no matter how frustrated I get, I know my North Star is the one that I picked for myself because I've been writing it over and over over the last like seven years. No, I just think <clears throat> it's kind of like <laughs> that kind of reminds me of like you know like people um like the dream board has become really big with people nowadays. Like they just like have a vision and then or they they put whatever they want on like a little. I don't know, wooden cork board and they see it every day and that kind of reaffirms their own like journey and their like the perseverance just so that they know what they're sacrificing now is for something greater in the future. And that uh, actually reminds me of a book I read. Um it's I don't know if you guys heard of the book. It's like How to Think and Grow Rich. So that's kind of like it, it talks about the same strategy that um you're using, like how every day they write down like what they want um, like what they they want their ROI to be, like return of investment, how much they want to make, what their net worth they, um, they like at, let's say 20, they want their net worth to be like 2 million or like in five years, I want my net worth to double, stuff like that. And I think that's just super interesting that you're like, that you, you're doing it your own way. Like you're, you're like by you journaling, you're doing your own kind of like quote unquote like dream board. And I think a lot of people should use that tactic in their own life because I think people that, don't that are living very passively like passively like just being a cog in a machine like oftentimes just even if they're not happy they don't know how to get out of it like because they don't really have like um like a vision or they don't have a goal to work towards so they're like all right this is what's safe this is what i'm gonna do right now so i'm just gonna keep doing this and then like 10 20 years later like they just realize that oh like i just spent like all my life just working for someone else's dream rather than doing what's good for myself and yeah, sorry, I went on a whole spiel, but yeah, I think what uh, I think that's like super interesting how your your own journaling kind of makes you more aligned with your goal and kind of like sets you on like kind of makes you foc- focus more on your goal because I think a lot of people like even if they have a goal, they don't know how to achieve that step. They're just like, I want to be a millionaire, but I don't know what the steps are to get there. And I think for mm-hmm. you, you're you write down your goals every like. I, do you do it daily? Like, is it a daily thing for you? I do do it daily. I, I mean, I have my journal right here where yeah. I literally write every oh, wow. day. Yeah. I, but doing, I've been doing this for seven years without Damn. ever skipping a day. Nice. What, what yeah. else do you talk? What do you, what else do you write about? Like, do you only write about your like your um your goals or like I do really, you write about your I, like mental like being and stuff? Yeah, yeah. So. It depends on the day, right? Sometimes I have really frustrating days and I write down why I'm frustrated and I try to like pin it all the way down to the root of the cause. Why am I frustrated? Why do I feel this way? Why do I feel anxious? And I try to keep tracing it back until I come to that certain realization that this is the start of all the emotions that I'm feeling. You know, and in some ways it's like very self-therapeutic. But some days, you know, I write down my goal and I write down micro steps and how to get there. I, I want to create this charity event. That's my big goal. How do I get there? Who do I know who has started charity? So-and-so. Do I know them? Yes. Do I not know them? How do I, do I, who can I talk to connect with them? So I always trace backwards. Okay, now I talk to them. What kind of budget do they have? What kind of venue do they have? What kind of things went well? What didn't go well? How can I improve? the event if i throw something very similar you know from there staff who on my team that i have currently to have the right skill sets to do this what is their time load 
Do I need to onboard new people? And I trace backwards. Okay, now I have the team, the venue, the, the knowledge. Met venue prices, these are venue prices. Call them, take notes, do a, a, a financial sheet. Okay, now I have that. Who do I know in my network that would be great speakers for this? And from there, your goal of having this charity event is now broken down to micro steps. Now it doesn't seem that big of a deal anymore to accomplish them. Your job is to make sure that you set the North Star and your job is to make sure everyone stays accountable to making things happen. Yeah. What I what I hear from that is is yeah, like what you last said there is like you're you're in charge of setting that North Star, that vision, and to be able to break it down so that you can have yeah. um you can have help and support in in, in moving across each of those pillars, right? Mm -hmm. I think going back to um uh, as yeah. as as men, I think a lot of or at least even in my experience and even personally, um, there's a, such a stigma even just asking for help and like having people help and like working together, especially if it's like our own thing or dream or thing. I think mm -hmm. that's not even a masculinity issue. I think for so many people, you know, are, are, are passionate about their own thing and, and could be struggle in, in getting help. Like, um, you know, what, how, yeah. how has that shown up, not just in business for you, but in terms of mm -hmm. even mentally or emotionally or in relationships yeah. in terms of like, you know, going out and getting help and, and, yeah. you know, expressing that you do help. The way that I think about it, it's like, if you want to go fast, do it by yourself. And if you want to go far, do it with other people. And that's the thing that mm -hmm. keeps me grounded. But the thing with the North Star it's that the North Star can, over time, can be eroded. It is up to you as a leader to continue reminding your community and your team what you're doing. Because if you don't remind them, you're going to fall off the rails and things can fall into chaos. And that's not good. You know, you have to keep on iterating to your team, like, what are you doing? What are, you, what, what are we doing this for? And sometimes it's tiring. You know, sometimes that, you go through your weeks of everything being run really smooth, and then something falls off the rails hella quickly. You're like, what the <laughs> how did it fall so quickly? <laughs> you know? yeah. But that's just that's just a normal part of running an organization. Man, yeah, there's a lot of leadership skills that has to be developed with that, for sure. Yeah, yeah, and just asking for help, I I think it's it's humbling yourself, you know. That think to yourself that you're not better than anyone else and no one else is better than you. We're all equal here. We're all trying to make a difference. We all have, have our own personalities, strengths, and weaknesses. We leverage our strength together. We can make a difference. And that's the way I think. You know, I don't think that I'm better than anyone. I don't think anyone's better than me. I just think we all have strengths and weaknesses that needs to be cohesively put together in order to make a bigger difference. Yeah. I know it's helped me even so much personally to to allow myself to ask for help and not make it seem like it's me like admitting to weakness or or whatnot, you know, like that I couldn't do it on my own or that I couldn't be the man to figure it out. Like um, just even expressing like what mm -hmm. I don't have answers to or uh, that I don't know something um 
has been so helpful, especially for me coming from the consulting world, technology consulting world, where, you know, we're coming in as a subject matter expert and for our clients and like the Mm -hmm. last thing you would do is admit that you don't know what you're doing, you know? Uh, And so there's a lot of this uh, mask that is, that we put Mm -hmm. on. And then especially when toxic masculinity comes into play where it's like, you know, definitely not going to show any sign of weakness, right? Uh, um, um, so it's cool, though, that I'm bringing that back to when you're, you know, journaling and doing this reflection that uh, there is a lot of emotional intelligence in there where you're really looking at what is what are behind your emotions here, right? Um, what's this anxiety that you're feeling or the, the fears that might be getting the way? Um, what frustrations are you feeling? you know, so many people in general, uh, don't do enough of that. And I know that because I was one of them who just avoided, you know, uh, spending too much time with myself. Um, and, but it's been, it's just cool to then like be able to finally embrace for myself to say, okay, maybe, maybe I do need help here. And that's what I'm hearing from you is that like, you're, you're able to to let go of the ego there and and just say, okay, you know, there's there's I'm in a tough place right now. I'm gonna need some help, and you you went and go got got some. Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't don't be afraid to ask for help. You know, and that that goes down another issue too. It's like, how do you view yourself? Are you confident? Are you not confident? The most confident people are not afraid to ask for help. Yeah. You know, it doesn't make you seem weaker. It doesn't make you seem like a better leader at the end of the day because, you know, you want to be make the right decision for your organization and for your community. And if you don't ask for help, it might cause more harm than good. Another thing I noticed about you, Brian, is that you seem to very like very analytical. Like you break things down from like a very macro perspective to very micro. Like, for example, when you talked about like your goals, you're like, okay, this is what I need to do. You're like, you're very solution oriented. Like you don't really think about a problem as a problem. You think about like, oh, these problems can be broken down into these pieces and these are the steps I need to take to solve these problems. I think that also, um, like I see that when you like, like for example, like when you said like ask for help, like you're like, oh, like for example, if like, if you had depression, you would probably like go find an expert, right? You wouldn't just go and think like, oh, I have depression, like I have to hide it. For you, it's just a problem or maybe even like an obstacle that you have to overcome. But you do see it as something that you can overcome because it's not like an insurmountable thing that a lot of people with depression have. Because I think for them, they're like, oh, I have this like this problem, but I don't want people to know that I have it. And I don't I also don't want people to like help me with it because it's something that I want to deal with it myself. And I think it's really amazing that you're able to kind of separate your feelings from the object itself. And you're able to kind of just just figure out like, or like kind of think like, oh, it's just a problem that requires an answer. That's it. Like, I don't, there's nothing more, there's nothing else to it. Like, I don't, there's no stigma. There's like for you, like you don't see, it doesn't symbolize anything else. You just, it doesn't make you a lower like human being. You're just like, oh, there's a problem. All right, let's go Mm. find a solution. Yeah, that's somewhat true. But at the same time, I do want to acknowledge that as human beings, we all have different emotions and we all feel different things. Frustration, doubt, depression, anger. These these things are, are not unique to anyone. Like we all feel it. But the thing with self-development is that understanding 
the tools to deal with these type of emotions because without the proper way to funnel them and channel them and acknowledge them, you're going to walk down a very dark path, you know, and anyone is susceptible to this, not, no matter who you are, no matter what you accomplish in life, no matter what you've done in life, you feel these emotions come up time and time again. And it's about self-awareness to understand the right tools to deal with these things because we all deal with them. You know, for me, I deal with them because I value time. I, I don't want to waste time. You know, whenever I'm feeling a certain emotion, I acknowledge it. I understand it. I pinpoint it. I learn from it. I move on. You know, and I'm always driven by time. So figure out what drives you, what gives you purpose, what sparks that passion. And then figure out your triggers and your awareness. And that's how you find the tools to help you deal with these things that you're feeling in order to get yourself to the next level. Man, you know, and speaking of time, I really appreciate you coming on as we're like reaching the top of the hour here. I would have loved to just keep going and diving to all of this and especially like how you really navigate um, the emotional side of this, this, you know, uh, of taking this path of, of dealing with this risk. Um, I guess, what would you say as something like for someone who does, you know, feel like, oh, they, they resonate with you and that like, there's the potential that they do see, right? Like they feel or they, they see that, you know, there's, they're meant for more or that they're, uh, you have so much more potential, but then still kind of something might be blocking them in terms of like yeah. they keep procrastinating or maybe they're distracting themselves mm -hmm. or maybe they just don't take that risk to to mm -hmm. go actualize that potential what would you kind of say to them or, or help kind of jog them i think the big, biggest thing is to to start small and to think big you know because nothing ever happens until you convince yourself that you can do it you know start really small build our self-confidence and over time everything will compound together and what you think was impossible before is not possible the biggest thing is get started start small no matter how small it is you know get it done like no matter what your goal is there's always a way to get there do the first step you know you want to you want to become a millionaire read your first book you can't finish the book and read the first mm -hmm. page you know you can't read a page yeah. read a sentence you know start sure. really small and then get there and over time, stay accountable to that. And over time, you realize that you have grown into the person that you always wanted to be. That's such an amazing quote. It reminds me of Nelson Mandela's quote, like, what was it? It's, um, it's always seems impossible until it's done. So I think that's a really amazing, like, message, like, stay consistent, start small. And that's the key, though, too, is, like, that consistency and, like, really, like, even as you hit roadblocks or the discomfort or you know, the hard parts, like, especially what we talked about before now is like, don't be afraid to get help. Don't be afraid to try something else and apply these frameworks or even look at your emotions and what's behind that. And all these things that we talked about here. So love that. Uh, one, one last question we like to ask too is something, what, what is something in your path right now, life, career, business relationships that you 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 don't quite have an answer for right now. I feel like that's everything. I don't have an answer to a lot of things. A lot <laughs> of things that I work on right now, it's because I believe that it's right. 
Um, I'm still constantly learning, to be honest. I'm not the perfect human being, and I never will be. And I like that because it allows me to continue improving and honing my craft. Man, super cool. And and you're just, I I do feel inspired. So I'd be curious to hear, uh, you know, others who are listening as well. Um, but really appreciate you, Brian, for coming on here. Um, this was just super cool to, to get you to know you even more uh, in this format and um, excited to just continue staying connected and, and supporting each other where we can. Um, Definitely. Yeah, Brandon, did you want to say anything? No. Um, yeah, same. Um, feeling really inspired about to go read my first book, about to read my first sentence. So. <laughs> Yeah. Love that. How could people find you and, and get connected? And yeah. Um, yeah. Um, all my Instagram social media handles is Brian Bong Bam. Um, message me on Facebook, message me on LinkedIn. I will most likely respond. I have a thing where I like to respond to everyone that reaches out to me just because I feel like if you're taking the time to reach out to me, I should at least take the time to respond to you. As long as it's not highly promotional or you're not trying to sell me stuff, then I'll respond. <laughs> You know, <laughs> it's kind of hard on LinkedIn. To yeah, get a lot of that, but yeah, yeah definitely. I appreciate how like um, uh, receptive you are and accessible you are. It's super cool, even though you're running the company and you have a lot of lot of things going on. I remember actually last time we talked at our, at the AHN Social Hour, you were just kind of you had so many things, almost like feeling burnt out and yeah, um, want to want to make sure you take care of yourself too, but. Still appreciate that that you you prioritize people, so that's what I really really uh, acknowledge you for. Yeah, definitely. Thank you too for your work with uh bad podcasts. I can't wait for the sad podcast as well. <laughs> I don't. We'll, we'll, we'll probably need Sexy, some model shots or something. Like, yeah, <laughs> probably need to more. But uh, <laughs> no, I appreciate it. Yeah. That's super cool. Um, thanks again for coming on. And um, again, go and check out Brian Fan. Reach out, get connected, join the Asian Hustle Network on Facebook. And uh, from there, thanks, thanks for listening. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Badass Asian Dudes with Brian Fam. I really hope you got a lot of value out of this, uh, a lot of insights or uh, ideas or even just different frames of mind, different perspectives for yourself and, and your own venture as well. So what's happening with the Badass Asian Dudes is obviously super excited to continue putting out these episodes on the podcast. Um, but our Facebook group is continually growing. You can join 1300 other members of Badass Asian Dudes on our Facebook. Uh, which is at facebook.com slash groups slash badass asian dudes you can also follow us on instagram at badass asian dudes official and we have merch if you really follow or resonate with the ethos of our brand and mission this is a great way to support us and the show just go to badassasiandudes.com and cop yourself one of our hoodies or shirts or bomber jackets and go and rep the mission and, and ethos of, of the Badass Asian Dudes to create a more emotionally intelligent, conscious human being. 
And lastly, if you are interested in local meetups around the city, once it's safe to do so, let us know. Let us know where you're at. Let us know where you'd like to uh, help set up a meetup for some badass Asian dudes. And we'd love to help get that going. So message us on Facebook or Instagram, join the group and hit us up. For now, I hope you actually take the knowledge and wisdom of this episode and integrate it into your life. And we'll catch you next time.